Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Matthew's account of the resurrection is certainly the most dramatic of the four Gospels. We read about an earthquake, an angel, and traumatized soldiers. The fact is, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a dramatic event. It changed the world, and it still impacts lives, changes lives today. Confession. I remember as a young Christian finding it a little difficult to get excited about Resurrection Sunday. And that's not because I undervalued it. Actually, it's the opposite. I felt like as a new Christian myself, as someone who was just experiencing new life in Christ, I felt like every day for the Christian should be Resurrection Day. We are united to the risen Lord Jesus. His life flows through us because of the resurrection. Now, I've since come to appreciate the value of recognizing a particular day of the year to commemorate Jesus' victory over death. But hopefully, in our appreciation and what we're celebrating today, we do not lose sight of the significance of the resurrection every minute of every day. Look with me at Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. We'll see this morning, we'll see from this text, three things. Three things concerning how the resurrection continues to impact us daily. First of all, it gives us proper perspective. Secondly, the resurrection renews our rest. And thirdly, it brings God to us. So it gives you proper perspective. The resurrection renews your rest and it brings God to you. First of all, the resurrection gives you proper perspective. How does it do that? Well, the first witnesses to the resurrection were two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. The name Mary or Miriam in Hebrew was a very common name in first century Israel. And this is why the crucifixion and resurrection accounts in all four of the Gospels 
together speak of at least five different Marys. It can get a bit confusing. The other Mary here is probably Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, who's mentioned in Matthew chapter 27, just one chapter back. And James, of course, is one of Jesus' disciples, so his mother. What is significant about Matthew mentioning this is that the Lord chose to first reveal the empty tomb to women. Though we might not think much about this today, that's because we're viewing this account through our modern 21st century lenses. Today, in our present society, women have all the legal rights that men do. But this was not the case in the first century, nor in most of the rest of history. One such restriction on women at the time of Jesus was that they were not allowed to testify in court. Their testimony was not considered credible. Now, this was, of course, man's view. This was not God's view. But to demonstrate the honor and respect bestowed upon women by the Lord, it was two women that first witnessed the empty tomb in Matthew's account. God certainly deems their testimony credible. The angel says to them, go quickly and tell his disciples, you tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. So two women are testifying to the now 11 disciples that Jesus rose from the dead. And a first century reader would have found this shocking. In fact, there's a lot that is shocking about the resurrection. For us, we fall into the danger of becoming too familiar with the idea that Jesus rose from the dead. For that matter, we become too familiar with the crucifixion. I know we didn't have a good Friday service this year, at least not here at Salem. So let me move back in time just a little bit to suffer the capital punishment of being nailed to two beams and dying by a combination of blood loss and suffocation is horrific. The Romans perfected this form of execution in order to maximize the pain and the suffering felt by the accused. By the time that Jesus made it to the point of actual crucifixion, he had already been whipped by a leather strap that was embedded with bits of bone and metal. His back muscles were ripped apart. His ribs were exposed. And two to three inch thorns had been driven into his head. Our Lord's physical suffering was excruciating. In fact, we get our English word excruciating from the root word crucify. The spiritual suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross was even worse than the physical suffering, as impossible as that sounds. Yet, he bore the full force of the wrath of God against the sins of the world. His soul was crushed. Jesus was cut off from his Father's love. He went through hell. For that is what hell is. Separation from the loving presence of God. In the, in the way that Jesus' crucifixion was shockingly brutal, his resurrection was shockingly exhilarating. In the same way that Jesus suffered intense, unimaginable physical torment, he rose in a perfected, new, resurrected, physical body. And the same way that Jesus drank to the dregs the agony of spiritual separation from God, 
he rose reunited into exceedingly joyful intimacy with his father. In the same way that we need to refamiliarize ourselves with the horrors of Good Friday, we need to refamiliarize ourselves with the glory of Resurrection Sunday. Mary and Mary, they arrived at the tomb at daybreak on a Sunday morning. Luke in his gospel tells us that they went bearing spices and perfumes. You see, Jesus died late Friday afternoon. The Jewish Sabbath begins at sunset on Friday. Therefore, there was no time to properly prepare his body for burial. And these two ladies, they were seeking to remedy that. If they could no longer serve a living Jesus, they would do their best to sympathetically serve the physical shell that remained. So imagine the walk to the graveyard. The sun is just breaking over the horizon. Their hearts are broken. Their grief is just beginning. The days ahead look long and dark and impossible to face. When Jesus was alive, they had hope. Now that he's dead, they have none. You and I, we feel like this some days. Something did not turn out like you had expected it should. Life slapped you in the face and then kicked you while you were down. It was a long walk to the tomb where your dreams died. The rising sun seemed to mock that long night of anguish. The day might be breaking, but your darkness is just beginning. Your hope is dead, your future is uncertain, and you're walking toward a place full of dead men's bones. Still, you will honor what is lost. You will remember your dashed dream. Matthew, he likes earthquakes. He's the only gospel writer that records them. When Jesus breathed his last breath, Matthew records, this is back in chapter 27, that an earthquake occurred. Earthquakes, the ground shaking, if you've ever felt one in real time, shaking catastrophically beneath your feet. They were not present in the original creation. The fall of man, as a result of the sin of man, impacted the entire creation. The earth was not created to shake. The Son of God should not have had to die. But when Jesus Christ, the one through whom the world was created, died as a man, the creation churned in protest beneath the cross. But this earthquake on resurrection morning is different. This severe earthquake accompanied a descending angel who rolled away the stone blocking the entrance of the tomb. The earth that had churned in dismay at the crucifixion, it now shakes in triumph at the resurrection. And though earthquakes obviously did not cease to occur that morning, their end was now in sight. This, this groaning of creation as it, as it languishes under the burden of man's sin, it will come to an end. Paul writes in Romans 8, 21, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So because freedom from the bondage of these sinful bodies, because that awaits us, Freedom from the curse that was pronounced on the earth awaits the creation. 
earthquakes will cease. It was obvious that it was an angel at the tomb because of his appearance. Verse 3, like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. So notice the two different reactions to the angel. Two different reactions. The first reaction is that of the Roman soldiers. They had been placed in front of that closed and sealed tomb by Pilate to guard it, to keep Jesus' disciples from coming and stealing the body. And when they saw the angel of the Lord shining in his brilliance, they shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So they probably experienced what we now refer to as non-medical shock. That occurs when a frightening or stressful event causes the body to respond by constricting the blood vessels, which in turn causes the blood pressure to drop, and that literally causes a person to pass out. You've probably seen this happen. The response of the guards to the presence of the angel was fear. Fear. Well, knowing that Mary and Mary could also very well react the same way to his appearance, the angel says to them at first, in the beginning, do not be afraid. Because there's suddenly a lot going on. And, and, and the assault on their senses is multifaceted. Not only is the angel sitting on top of the stone, but the stone is rolled away from the entrance of the tomb, and the guards, they're just lying about unconscious. There's a lot going on here. That's a lot to process. These two Marys, they need the calming. Do not be afraid. Two different perspectives. The guards are struck down. Mary and Mary are given the glorious news that we celebrate this morning and that we will celebrate into all eternity. I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. The soldiers, they were expecting. Jesus' disciples to try to steal the body. They were doing their job as guards. And when they felt the earthquake, and then when they saw the angel, and when they witnessed this huge stone roll itself to the side, their response was fear. That's understandable. Their perspective was like so many. You witness something that has no natural explanation. Or maybe you hear the word of God. Or you, you behold God at work in your own circumstances or in your life or in the life of another and you do not receive it. You experience it, but you do not receive it. Like dead men, your spiritual eyes, they remain closed. In this case, these men, they're, they're privy to the greatest miracle in history. And instead of falling to the ground in worship, they fall to the ground afraid. And sometimes we do that as well. Afraid of what we're experiencing from the Lord. Afraid of the implications that it will have upon our lives. But the two Marys, their perspective was different. They were tempted to fear, but they were told not to. Do not be afraid. You see, being afraid of the Lord and fearing the Lord are two different things. Being afraid causes you to shrink back from what God is doing. Fearing the Lord causes you to lean in to what God is doing. Their motives, Mary and Mary, their motives were right. The angel said, I know you were looking for Jesus who has been crucified. In other words, you came here for the right reason. 
you came here to honor the Lord by preparing his dead body. But guess what? He's not here. He is risen. The resurrection gives us proper perspective. It gives us God's perspective. Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And whether or not you acknowledge that that fact by faith, that makes all the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. Is Jesus dead or is Jesus alive? How do you answer that question? The perspective the resurrection gives us is not actually new. It's old. What I mean by that is that which is new to us is simply a restoration of what was original to God. We don't need something new. We need a fresh perspective on what is old. We need God's perspective. We need to see like he sees. And the resurrection gives that to us. A proper perspective on women. A proper perspective on creation. A proper perspective on fearing God. So there's really nothing new. All was according to God's original intention. And in reality, the resurrection account here gives us God's perspective on women as made in His image. The resurrection reminds us that God has always intended to renew and restore the creation. Jesus rising from the dead reminds us that to fear God is vastly different than being afraid of Him. It takes the resurrection of Jesus Christ to give us proper perspective. Secondly, the resurrection renews your rest. It renews your rest. The angel continued addressing the two Marys. Verse 6, come see the place where he was lying. The tomb was empty. The body of Jesus had been lying there, but not anymore. John reports in his gospel that the linen cloths in which Jesus' body was wrapped were still in the tomb. Think about that. Why does John record that detail? Well, if the body had actually been stolen, no thief is going to take the time to unwrap the corpse before he hauls it off. This was yet another indication, another verification that Jesus had risen from the dead. There is no denying that something supernatural had occurred. The very broken and very dead body of Jesus was no longer there. The tomb was empty. The angel was present. The guards were lying about looking dead. So if he's not here, where is he? The angel anticipated that question. Verse 7. So his next words, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. That's the first instruction. Go and testify to the resurrection of the Son of God. Think about how quickly everything has changed for Mary and Mary. You've experienced this. One moment you're in the depths of despair and grief, and the next you're soaring on the heights of hope and elation. It's like whiplash to the soul. So what causes that sudden shift? Well, it's information. You get some news. Maybe you, you hear the spot on the scan is not cancer after all. You have some new information that changes everything. You hear that your loved one in the hospital is no longer on the ventilator. 
They're sitting up and talking to the nurses. You have some new information. That changes everything. You receive the phone call that you got your dream job. Or like Alice and I a few days ago, you receive the news that you're going to be able to transport more puppies and get rid of some of the pressure that you're feeling. Something has happened to reverse your circumstances. What is that something? You receive information about it. So here's what we need to realize. The resurrection is that news, is that information that changes your despair into hope. As often as you need to rekindle your hope, look in the empty tomb. Jesus is not there. He's not dead. He's alive. You will see him. You will see him. For the Christian, there is no day so dark. There is no news so bleak. There is no problem so great. There is no tragedy so profound that the resurrection will not triumph over it. And I'm not saying that your situation is suddenly going to change. I'm not saying that all of your difficulties will be immediately removed or resolved. I'm saying that the empty tomb gives you hope. This is not wishful thinking, but this is solid and abiding certainty. Why? Well, because Jesus has gone ahead of you. That's what the angel says. Verse 7, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. In other words, Jesus will be there. He's waiting for you. Go quickly. Don't delay. Flee to him. Hope. Biblical hope. Hope is the assurance that everything will ultimately be okay. It might not be okay today, but hope is expectation of what's to come in the future. It will be okay. The angel didn't say, go and tell his disciples and stop there. The angel added, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. That means that you can step into the future with poise and peace and joyful anticipation because Jesus is waiting for you there. This is the promise for every Christian. You might not be experiencing the fullness of the presence of God today, but you will. And it is the expectation of what is to come that gives you the strength to face today's trials and tribulations. What Mary and Mary received at this moment as they stood in awestruck wonder before the angel and the stone and the emptiness of the tomb, what they received was a new calling. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Now, sure, they had a calling upon their lives before. That call when Jesus was alive physically before his death and resurrection, that call before was follow me, follow me. But then Jesus was not yet crucified and not yet risen. And so that call has now been expanded from follow me to go and tell others that I've risen from the dead. And Jesus is going to repeat this calling to his disciples before his ascension, before he ascends to heaven after 40 days. He's going to repeat it to each generation of Christians, including us. And we hear these words from the lips of Jesus at the end of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So by what authority and power are we to make followers of Jesus? By the authority and power of the risen Lord 
Jesus. Because he rose from the dead, Jesus says in the preceding verse, the verse before, go and make disciples, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. When Jesus broke the power of death by walking out of that tomb, he received from his Father authority over everything for all time. And this is why when you go to proclaim Jesus Christ crucified and risen, you don't do so in your own strength or power or authority. You do so in his. Jesus is already working. He's already waiting. He's already preparing the ground of the stony heart to hear the message that he rose from the dead. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. One of the things that keeps us as Christians from evangelizing as we should is the feeling that it is all up to us to convert somebody. You fear that you won't have the words or that you won't have the persuasive power that's needed. Exactly. Exactly. The Lord does not want you to lean on your own strength or on your own powers of persuasion. He wants you to lean on Him. And the resurrection tells us that He has gone ahead of us. So trust in His timing. Trust in His preparations, those that He has made, before you even arrive on the scene. Not only is there the guarantee of His going ahead of your efforts, there's the promise. There you will see Him. Jesus not only goes ahead of you, the resurrection tells us that he is present. This is the final word that Jesus left with his disciples at the end of Matthew. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And then he follows with, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So before the resurrection, Jesus can only be in one place at one time. He was limited. Jesus said, that after the resurrection, he is no longer going to be limited. John 16, 7, Jesus said to his disciples, If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. Or to put that another way, if I go away, the Helper will come to you. Because Jesus rose and then ascended into heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within every believer. Before his resurrection, Jesus cannot be everywhere all at once. But after his resurrection, he can guarantee, I am with you and you and you and you always. And the resurrection brings with it this new calling. Follow me so that you can go and tell. You shall be my witnesses. Witnesses to what? You and I, we will proclaim what Jesus has done for us. In his death, he paid the price for our sins. In his resurrection, he gives us his presence. You will see him. Not just in Galilee, but everywhere and always. It would be one thing if Jesus simply called you to go and make disciples. That's a huge task. In fact, that's an impossible task. That is impossible apart from his presence. And his power, if it was just go and make disciples, go be my witnesses, go tell people that 
that I've risen from the dead, that would be nothing more than adding one more law, one more command, one more impossible task. We don't need any more impossible tasks. I know that you are already burdened with responsibility. Life gives you enough pressure and puts enough demands on you that one more instruction is not helpful. In fact, it is probably hurtful. The good news lies in this. The hope is found here. Jesus does not give burdens. He receives them. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Who needs to hear that this morning? I will give you rest. Are you weary? Sure you are. Me too. Are you burdened? Yeah. We all are. Do you want rest? Of course. Sounds delightful. Sounds impossible. But it's not impossible. It's promised. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's Matthew 11. Jesus does not give burdens. He shoulders them. Jesus joins himself to you. The resurrection guarantees his presence, his union, his yoke. It also guarantees his power. When the call of Jesus comes, there is not more to do. There is less. That's grace. That is the undeserved favor of God poured out upon you. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. You must see him. You must see him taking your sins upon himself at the cross, freeing you from guilt and shame. You must see him risen from the dead, giving you his very life. You must see him shouldering your burden and inviting you to walk in simple dependence upon him. You're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in your strength or your ability or your efforts. You're trusting in Jesus to do for you and in you and through you what you cannot do, what I cannot do. And in choosing to trust him over and over again, you will continue to receive rest for your soul. And guess what? Out of that rest will flow the strength to be a witness, to make disciples. The resurrection renews your rest. And it is only out of that place of rest that we have the power to be his witnesses. And the third thing this text teaches us is that the resurrection brings God to you. The resurrection brings God to you. Verse 8, Mary and Mary left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. Why did they go quickly? Why did they not linger around the empty tomb? Well, because the angel said, go quickly. There's no time to waste. The greatest event in history had just occurred. Jesus was not among the dead. He's not in a graveyard. He's alive. People need to know that. Specifically, the disciples need to know So the angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. So we read in verse 8, they left the tomb quickly. 
with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. They arrived at the tomb with heavy hearts, grieving hearts, devoid of hope, unsure of the future. They left the tomb with fear and great joy. When you realize that God has done for you through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you realize what he has done, then you will simultaneously fear and experience great joy. The fear that you will feel is awe, amazement that Jesus died and suffered to pay the price that you owe. The wages of sin is death. You deserve to die. I deserve to die. Jesus instead suffered death in your place. If you can see that, if you can grasp that, then you will be filled with amazement at what Jesus has done. Jesus Christ died to absorb the wrath of God. And for those of us who believe that wrath is no longer directed at us because it fell upon Jesus. How do we know for certain that God's judgment against sin has been satisfied? How do we know for sure that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Because the tomb is empty. In this unheard of, never to be repeated, momentous moment, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And what that means is that God accepted the payment for your sins and mine. The Father vindicated the Son. And this is how you know that God will never hold your sins against you if you're a Christian. He's already held them against Jesus. And then he raised him from the dead, as Romans 4.25 says. He was raised because of our justification. The resurrection ensures that you are made right with God. And being right with God brings great joy. But there's more. The resurrection also ensures that you receive eternal life. The moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you pass from death to life. 1 John chapter 5. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and that life is in his son. We cannot simply stop at the cross. It's at the cross where sin was dealt with. Jesus died for sin, but it's at the empty tomb where life begins. The cross deals with the penalty of sin. Your sins are no longer held against you. The resurrection deals with the power of sin. You are no longer under sin's power. What good would it do if you were forgiven, but you were not able to live a life that's pleasing to God? It's the resurrection that ensures the very life of the Son of God dwells within the Christian. And that is how you can live a life that is pleasing to God. It's the life of Christ made available to all who believe that gives you the actual ability to live a life free from the bondage of sinful habits and addictions and thoughts and words. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, what was happening? Well, it was the dawn of a new creation. The kingdom of God has come. It was inaugurated when the king rose from the dead. The first resurrection Sunday was the first day of a new creation. And King Jesus, he is working to subdue all the nations, all the peoples under his reign and under his rule 
And he is doing this through each person who surrenders their life to him, who bows their knee in worship. And he is doing so through his church as more people are added to his kingdom by trusting in what was accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to see. Mary and Mary left the tomb. They were intent on telling the disciples that Jesus was alive. They left with hope. Even more, they eagerly anticipated encountering the risen Lord Jesus in Galilee. Here we come. This is what the angel said. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. He's north. Go that way. He's in Galilee. You will actually see him there. And look what happens. Look what happens. They don't even make it to the disciples. They certainly don't make it to Galilee. Suddenly, verse 9, Jesus met them and greeted them. And their excitement and anticipation and wonder, they're, they're rushing away from the tomb and behold, Jesus met them. Don't miss that. They don't have to go all the way to Jesus. He came to them. He came to them. This is a powerful picture of what the gospel does. You run to God, and what you find is that God is running to you. In the anticipation of hope that the empty tomb quickens in your heart, you search for God, and you discover that he's looking for you. When Jesus died on the cross, Matthew tells us in chapter 27, he tells us this, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What in the world is that talking about? Well, within the temple in Jerusalem, that temple, by the way, that could be seen from the hill that Jesus was crucified on right across the valley. And that temple, there hung a huge curtain, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. It's reported by historical records, that it was four inches thick. This curtain took 300 priests to manipulate and move it. And what did it do? What well, separated the first room of the temple, the holy place, from the second room of the temple, the Holy of Holies. And in that second room, in the Holy of Holies, there was the Ark of the Covenant, that golden box that contained the Ten Commandments, which represented the throne of God. In other words, God's presence dwells here. And only the high priest could enter that room once a year with the blood of an animal sacrifice. The clear message conveyed by this curtain was that sinful man cannot go into the presence of holy God. And it was this gigantic curtain that was ripped at Jesus' death. It ripped in two from the top. It was an act of God, not of man. The way into God's presence is now open. The way is a person. His name is Jesus. His death brings forgiveness of sins to all who believe. So nothing any longer keeps the Christian from the presence of God. The barrier is gone. And the resurrection takes that even one step further. Not only can you now go to God, God comes to you. If the death of Jesus opens the way into God's presence, the resurrection brings the presence of God to you. 
when you realize that God has not only made a way for you to approach him, but he has also taken the initiative to approach you, you will respond like Mary and Mary. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. The only way they could take hold of Jesus' feet was as if their faces were on the ground. And that's the posture of worship. This is the response the resurrection brings. This is a response that the resurrection brings when it really grips your heart. You understand that Jesus' death opened the way for you to go into God's presence. And you understand that Jesus' resurrection opened the way for God's presence to come to you. Is that a reality for you this morning? Do you know the presence of God today? This access purchased by the blood of Christ and then the resurrection assuring that Jesus will always come to you. Are you receiving him? Have you received him? You know, that's a one-time decision. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, calling upon his name, inviting the presence of God into your life, receiving the way that God has provided, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. But then every day after that, you make the decision to continue to invite the presence of God, to continue to keep yourself open to what God wants to do in your life. Are you open to that? Is the resurrection impacting you today? Maybe it's impacting you for the first time. If so, I hope that you respond to what God is speaking into your heart, what he's doing in your life. I hope that today is your day of salvation, that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. But maybe it's impacting you for the third time or the 15th time or the thousandth time. I hope so. May the resurrection not only impact us today, may it impact us every day of our lives. May we be open to the presence of God and find that as we're running towards him, he's already running towards us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope that the resurrection of Jesus gives to us. Lord, we acknowledge that regardless of how difficult the days may be or whatever we might pass through in days to come, that ultimately our certainty is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can experience exceeding joy and peace in the present moment because you are present with us, Father. Lord, help us to allow the resurrection to continue to make an impact upon our lives, not just today, but tomorrow and in the days to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name.